0: Today I have the pleasure to interview Dr. Chandler Chang. Dr. Chang is a clinical psychologist who has been providing science-based psychological treatment in downtown Los Angeles since 2008. Using evidence-based treatments and a compassionate approach, she offers expertise based on a decade of experience at prestigious research-oriented psychology programs, including UCLA and NYU Child Study Center, with degrees from Princeton University and the University of Georgia. In addition to helping with stress, relationships, and problem solving, Dr. Chang specializes in treating anxiety, mood disorders, and OCD, as well as numerous co-occurring conditions. She is the founder of Golden Hour Therapy, a group therapy practice in downtown Los Angeles, as well as Therapy Lab. Therapy Lab is an innovative therapy practice offering science-based therapy on a straightforward timeline. They aim to support your mental health goals in a way that's radically efficient, transparent, and effective. Welcome, Dr. Cheng. I invited Chandler, given the fact that I really... um, uh, appreciate her her view of therapy and how she thinks about appropriateness of types of therapy for certain people. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about interventional versus um, supportive therapy and how she thinks
1: about, you know each patient and and their needs. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I love this topic so much. I think it's really interesting because therapy is more and more popular. And yet, there's so many different kinds of therapy, and there's not a great way that I know of for clients to figure out what kind of therapy might be best for them. So. Thanks for this. This is a really good resource for people.
0: So, um, well, you know, a few things as I'm sitting here, we're just, you know, I have kind of I'm looking around the room in your office and right behind Dr. Chang is a whiteboard um, with a dry erase marker. And I think that whiteboard behind you is actually very representative of that's kind of the so work true. that you do, right? Yeah. So, I mean, do we want to get into a little bit about the specific disorders you treat and maybe how you would approach those
1: in a way that sure. kind of intervention-based? interventional based? Yes. So the whiteboard is very much, that's a great observation. It's very much a part of the heart of CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'll explain briefly what we do usually with the whiteboard and in almost every case that we work with. And then I can explain for different disorders, how it works. But at the heart of cognitive behavioral therapy is in in sort of the foundational level, is just an awareness of your emotional experience and how you may be triggered by different situations and how you may act in those situations. So some people have, have a lot of insight and self-awareness, and this is just kind of a fun exercise, but for some people who may not be quite as good at this, at knowing what, what they're experiencing when and why it can be a very profound intervention just to have, A whiteboard where you write down, okay, what was the most intense, strong emotion that you felt this week? Well, let's say you felt rage towards your boss because that your boss asked you to do something that felt demeaning or whatever, whatever the situation is. Just writing some of these links down on the whiteboard, and then writing what you thought about the situation and then what you did in that situation can help you start to create insight and motivation for change. That could be really helpful for you. So can we
0: walk through that? So okay, so the first
1: thing you would write would be rage,
0: and then an arrow that that basically you know represents
1: after that the feel. But well, it's that's the feeling. That's the feeling. Thought the thought. Okay. Like, this is unfair. I should be treated more fairly. Um, You know, blame is a way, blame is another kind of thought. Like, my boss is an idiot. Mm -hmm. And then the behavior would be to do something maybe impulsive, like quit. Maybe you quit your job because of that. Well, so if we look at that, those links, um, that's probably taking you to a place where you didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you could have chosen a different behavior, like have a conversation or use that energy from your anger to start to look for another job, if, if that's the appropriate next step. Um, and then this the cognitive or the thought part of that is just being flexible in your perspective. So yes, the world may be not treating you fairly. And are there other ways to look at that situation? So there's a lot of research suggesting that cognitive flexibility and not getting really wedded to a rigid point of view on a situation is really, really helpful for keeping us nimble in our emotions and in our behavior choices. It all works together. And I like to think of this like a toilet, like Mm -hmm. a toilet bowl, um, a downward spiral. Like if something not so great happens and then you start to think like really negative thoughts about the situation and then you do like kind of not so great behaviors in response to it, it really is like a toilet bowl spinning downward. But what I think is really exciting and empowering is that you can also get that toilet bowl spinning back up, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially because my toilet is not working well at home right now. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So you can like, maybe we need a different analogy besides toilet bowl, (laughs) but like, like it. I think when it's going down, it's good to have that toilet. So how do you keep it? How do you allow
0: it to go in reverse that?
1: Well, what is so cool is that when everything is kind of looking dark and going down, you start to feel like, oh my God everything is going down. But then what's neat is that one little change, either in your perspective or one little behavior that you might do differently can get the whole system going in a different Mm. direction and can change your outlook. It's kind of funny. We think our thoughts are true blue. We can trust them all the time. But actually, our thoughts are very much a product of our emotions and our behaviors. So let's say you're depressed, for example, and you're really depressed and you're seeing the world as dark and impossible and and you're down and you make beha- behavioral choices like you stay in, you don't socialize as much, you, you don't do the things that you're normally interested in. If I, as your therapist, if I can get you just to agree, okay, for the next week, just do one little thing. You don't have to take a walk, but put your sneakers by the door. The next day, just put your sneakers on, just walk around your block once. It's inc- it's always amazing to me how even just taking little steps towards positive behavior change can get the whole system unstuck.
0: Right. So that's what I was going to ask: Is it usually that
1: behavior
0: that really um, loosens things up yes. more than kind of helping someone shift their sh- thoughts right away? Right.
1: That's my yeah yeah. That's what I think is it. People are so moved by their own behaviors mm-hmm. because when you see yourself doing something differently your whole thought pattern can shift. Right. But I
0: also think if someone's in therapy for cognitive behavioral therapy, it's so much easier to guide someone towards a specific behavior. Yes. Because it's so concrete versus yeah. to say, you know, let's, you know, let's not catastrophize, right? It just, it's just so much yes. of an easier um, assignment to give someone to say, yeah. well, this is the specific behavior. It's so obvious of what you have right. to do. And it's either
1: you do it right. or not. Right. And even that, so there's something called the third wave of, cognitive therapy, which is for traditional CBT, we've had people identify thoughts and say, okay, how do you change it? How do you change it? And now with modern cognitive therapy, it's almost like, okay, cool. So you had that thought, who cares? Like just Mm -hmm. acceptance is a big part of what we do in cognitive therapy now. Like, oh, interesting. Your Your brain manufactured that thought but it doesn't really mean anything because you can still go for a while.
0: <laughs> right. So I guess the question is for people listening to this podcast, this idea of how do you know if your therapist is implementing more be- I mean, more be- CBT techniques or not, right? I mean, you, I guess you kind of talked about it. It's, I mean, if you feel like you're getting more direction, right, that's mm-hmm. likely that mm-hmm. your therapist was probably implementing some of those techniques.
1: Mm-hmm anyway so yeah um I think even before you get to all of this, I think feeling a level of trust with your therapist and also this isn't talked about very much but I think feeling that your therapist is knowledgeable about what you're experiencing is really important or feeling like they get it
0: mm-hmm.
1: because um a therapist who's knowledgeable about CBT practices, even if they themselves do not specialize in CBT practices, I think that person can help you, guide you where you need to be either in their practice or I have therapists over the years, a number of therapists will be working with someone and will say, can you treat this person for this specific behavioral issue? And then they'll come back to me and do dynamic work or Mm do analytic work over there. And I love working with other therapists with other backgrounds in that way. I think it's it's really rewarding to have therapists from different orientations work together. So you talked a little bit about depression and how cognitive behavioral
0: therapy, maybe kind of how it would work with someone's changing their behaviors and thoughts around depression. What other you know, diagnoses or disorders, do you see cognitive behavioral therapy being very helpful for
1: specifically? I think social anxiety is something that is so it's, it occurs so often in to varying degrees on content on the continuum among people. And there's so many thoughts that go with social anxiety that affect people's relationships, affects people's job performance. Like, speaking in front of a crowd or organizing one's thoughts for an individual meeting with a supervisor or socializing, you know, it can affect relationships. And there's so many thoughts um, that people tell themselves about their social interactions. And I think having people just be aware of those thoughts that they're having and yet Do the thing anyway that the thought, because the thoughts are saying, you're not good at socializing. You need to stop embarrassing yourself. But then if you recognize, okay, those are just thoughts I'm having. Many people feel that way. It doesn't actually matter that I'm feeling that way. And getting somebody to do the thing that they're not wanting to do Mm -hmm. is is such an important way to deal with social anxiety. And if you think
0: about, treatment of a
1: social anxiety, it's more of an exposure base. So you
0: make that person... Well, I guess all of it is exposure-based. You mm-hmm. ex- make them expose themselves to the thing that they're trying to avoid. Yes. But social anxiety seems more difficult to do right it's difficult yeah if you have someone who's depressed it's like all right like baby steps you know go out the door walk around the block social anxiety you're really hitting head-on something that someone's just trying so hard to avoid Mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure it's that way it's also difficult with depression it just seems different with social anxiety true um But you've, I mean, I, I mean, I've learned that, you know, as I learned about cognitive behavioral therapy, it's really Mm -hmm. social anxiety disorder is, you know, a very, you know, this treatment specifically Mm -hmm. is more of a cognitive behavioral therapy approach for, for that.
1: Right. And oftentimes group, group work for social anxiety can be Mm -hmm. even, I mean, it can Mm -hmm. be so helpful for obvious reasons because the therapy itself is in a group. And so it's just a natural exposure for people to be in that setting. But one of the things i found over the years as somebody who, as you say, makes, it is basically making someone do an exposure. But by the time I have buy-in, I think they're, there's a natural human urge to avoid, but there's also on the flip side that of that. I think there's a natural human instinct to take on challenges. Mm-hmm. And that one is a little bit harder to tap into, but I think it's easier when you're working with someone. For example, me as a, as your therapist, I want to be there to help you tap into that because once you do something you didn't think you can do, even if it's just a tiny baby step, it is, it can be a euphoric feeling. It can be so expansive to do something that you never thought you'd be capable of. And that doesn't always happen, but it does, it does happen. And um, that's one of the things I love about what I do is, is helping people look for that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it helps to be to start out doing those things with medication, you know, having therapy in combination with medication. Well, since
0: I'm a psychiatrist, i kind of this talk about this balance between, um, you know, when you have someone with say social anxiety disorder. So mm-hmm. when you, you know, sometimes people come to a psychiatrist first and say, I just want a pill for this. Yes. But the reality of it is that you can give them a pill and it would probably be helpful, but it's not going to teach them kind of in the long term, how Mm -hmm. to get through this, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of the band-aid. And so this idea that when I do, I work with a lot of cognitive behavioral therapists, including you, um, that the question is that I don't want to... I mean, not that social anxiety could ever be, you know, extinguished 100% with medication, Mm -hmm. but you actually want to treat it, you know, you want to treat it to the point that someone can function, but you also don't want to treat it too much that the person can't do the actual work in therapy, which I think is a better Mm long-term solution, right, for Mm -hmm. their anxiety. Um, So how do you, I don't know, how do you find that balance of, I'm I'm sure it's different Mm -hmm. for each person, but I mean, are you pretty strict in thinking, okay, they shouldn't be on medication because we really want to access that anxiety so we can
1: work with it?
0: Mm -hmm. Or
1: um, (laughs) how do you go about that with somebody? Well, so the way I usually explain this is that this is very generally speaking, but... um, therapy in combination with medication tends to be most effective for the short and the long term because medication can help someone take advantage of what they're learning in therapy and then what if and when they go off medication they still have learned those techniques some people don't need medication at first and they can just hop right in but if i've treated someone for maybe 4 to 8 weeks on something specific and they're not making progress i usually recommend having a medication and in general, for exposures, it's okay to, to be on an SSRI. Mm-hmm. and I know you know this already. But then for fast-acting anxiolytic medications, we would recommend that you not take Xanax or a benzodiazepine before engaging right. in an exposure. Yeah, so kind of a little bit more of
0: an explanation. So medications that you would say take every single day, Will just kind of, in general, decrease the baseline level of anxiety that you experience, um, and which are things like Lexapro or Prozac or Zoloft. Um, But then there are medications. Say if you take, if you're in a panic and you just need relief, that's something like a Xanax or an Ativan, and it cuts that anxiety. But you, Mm -hmm. I mean, what we were kind of talking about is that it doesn't, it it doesn't allow you to work through that anxiety, which is kind of part of the you know, the basis of cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy to sit with the anxiety too, right? Or to be That's able to right. tolerate it.
1: Tolerate it and even eventually see its purpose mm. because we have emotions generally for different functions. And so we think of anxiety as something we've evolved to have to help us prepare, anticipate danger, all of those things. And so if, you, if you're if you totally getting rid of it in anticipation of an exposure, then you kind of miss out on the opportunity to experiment and explore it. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know if you have serious social anxiety, you're rolling your eyes like, oh yeah, right. I, I freaking hate my anxiety. I don't want to feel that. But I really like to work with people to feel like, okay, what does it actually feel like in my body? Okay, it feels like that. Is it tolerable that I have butterflies in my stomach or that I'm sweating a little bit? It actually is. It, mm-hmm. It's. But when we try to squash it or push it away, it can create a layer of distress
0: right on top of it. Yeah, it's kind of just the fact of just labeling and naming something goes yeah. a very long way. That's true. Right. That's so um. true. Mm-hmm. I mean, can we talk a little bit, um, I mean, I know in what you do in therapy lab, it's, it's a very time limited, um, would you kind of short burst <laughs> cognitive sure. behavioral therapy, I guess is, is a way to describe it. So I would assume yes. you would have people coming in saying, I have this problem, maybe with social anxiety, I need to give this talk and I cannot do it because I'm so anxious about yes. being judged or seen. So yeah. how would you kind of approach that and how
1: long would you anticipate that treatment would take? So at Therapy Lab, we have what we call pac- treatment packages that are designed around specific goals. So for anxiety, we any kind of anxiety, social anxiety or generalized anxiety, we have something called the Unified Protocol, which is sixteen weeks. We recommend about four months of treatment, and it's a it's a it's treatment. In which every session you're going to come in and you're the expert on your life and we want to understand what you're seeing. But then you also are going to leave with something that you've learned from that session Mm -hmm. and something to practice for the week. Um, We have other kinds of packages, for example, for insomnia or for relationship skill building. Mm -hmm. That's something that is very popular here. And it's based on CBT and mindfulness and brings in a section on exposures at the end. People really, people like the idea of finishing something mm-hmm. and, and like the idea of getting a workbook and having almost like a course of therapy. So it's a different, right. it's a different experience. It's diff- a different crowd. Why are the exposures in the end? The, that's a good question. The exposures are in the end because the first you, I think it's three or four modules are different types of skills. And what I think is really interesting is that usually people love like two, like half of the skills. Some of them don't click for everyone. So you, but you are exposed to all the different skills that have the most evidence right now. So monitoring your emotions, learning cognitive flexibility, or learning how to change your perspective on things so that it keeps you more free to engage in different kinds of behaviors mm-hmm. when you're exposed to the situation. For example, let's say you've just gone through a breakup and you can't stop checking your ex-boyfriend's Instagram or something that you want to follow what, what is happening. But that's something that you're doing in the short term when you feel anxious. What's he up to? What's going on? You check it. But then over the long term, you, you're kind of a slave to that mm-hmm. old relationship. And it gets you stuck in this frame of mind like, I'm not going to be okay unless I can check on what he's doing. And so, going through different skills, and then we get to the exposure where maybe we say, okay, you can go back on Instagram in your life, but for the next 48 hours, see if you can stand the uncertainty or the anxiety of not being on it. That's just an example of how once you get through all the different skills that you're going to practice, then you're ready to take on. The actual exposures in your everyday life. Yeah. Does that word "exposure"? Do you think it's making sense? I
0: think it is. I was just thinking. Also, you should think about having an ex- um, breakup track. <laughs> For yes. people going through a breakup. That's, that's the a relationship very, tonic. Oh, okay. So it's really yeah, it's, it's a it's a protocol for people
1: going through a kind it of a is. separation or a breakup. really. It is because I had so many people in my tradition, my other practice, who would come. So many people come to therapy after a bro- mm-hmm. breakup. I think it's just such a it's a, it can be a devastating mm-hmm. experience for people, right. and one in which people take stock of who they are and mm-hmm. what they want next. So I love that we offer this, I think it's eight or 10 sessions where you can reflect on what's happened. What are your expectations for relationships Mm -hmm. and what are your ways of looking at relationships that that are either keeping you stuck or. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So I was just, I was just kind of reflecting on the reason why I was wanting to create a podcast, Um, other than it's kind of just a fun thing to do to have a microphone in in front of you. But um, this idea that, you know, I, as a psychiatrist, I don't necessarily offer... therapy necessarily to my patients. I really just talk to them about medication, though I do have a few people that I do see for therapy. But over the years, I've really gotten to know and understood the way that different therapists work. And it's sometimes very confusing for a patient coming in um, for me to say, OK, I think this type of therapy would be of great benefit to you. Um, I can imagine if someone it doesn't have guidance from another professional saying, you know, these are your symptoms and this is the type of therapy that I think would be the best use of of your time, I could imagine that somebody would have a really difficult time figuring out what they need, mm-hmm. especially in a metropolitan area where you have the choice, right? You have mm-hmm. so many specialists um, and kind of anything in a something, if, if I mean, there are some limitations, but, you know, anything is at your fingertips and how do you figure out what you need and what is really working for you? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's part of this podcast, in a sense, is to kind of allow people to understand that there are different modalities of treatment out there. Um, You know, one thing I wanted to mention, you know, we talk about all these different modalities of treatment, and I think generally... Feeling out there is that oh well, it's just about the experience or connection you have with your therapist, and not necessarily about the mo- treatment, the type of therapy specifically, or modality um, that you're in. Can you talk a little bit about how do I mean, mm-hmm. how do you approach that, and or how do you think about that? Is connection versus expertise in
1: a way? Well, I think. At the end of the day, you have nothing if you have no connection with your therapist. So even CBT and directive intervention type therapies are grounded in the idea that rapport is everything. I mean, you have to have rapport to do any work. And so I think it's also really important for people to know that once you start in therapy, if you don't feel good about that connection or there's something missing, it is absolutely okay to stop going to that therapist and to, to find someone else. I think there's this belief that there's, there may be something wrong with you. If you decide you can't work with your therapist. Right. But I, but also, I mean, I will
0: add it's, absolutely um your prerogative to tell your therapist oh yeah it's not working right instead of ghosting
1: them (laughs) just right maybe well i don't know but in most cases in some cases if you feel like that something bad is mm, happening it's okay okay. to ghost them okay but if you're like okay am i getting what i need out of therapy and
0: you're not sure i mean it seems like that's something very reasonable to bring up to your therapist to say you know i'm not feeling like i'm getting what i need yes definitely um But, right. So, right. So this idea that the connection and the rapport with a therapist is probably the most important foundation, but Mm -hmm. then it goes beyond that in kind of understanding the type of therapy that the person does. And, you know, are you really moving forward? Mm -hmm. But I think with cognitive behavioral therapy, it's already very much set out
1: what you are set out to accomplish. So it's much easier to track progress with this type of therapy. And you're also trying to elicit feedback in every session. Yeah, and that's the difference, right? So you right, we didn't really yeah. talk about that. So with cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy, the
0: therapist actually it's not, I mean, it's it's very it's much a collaborative for the therapist to say, so what did you, what do you I mean, how do you end mm-hmm. the session? What do you say? What did you get out
1: of this session? <laughs> or like if I usually it's obvious if if something if somebody feels like something's valuable or a session has been valuable. But sometimes I might say, if I feel like something's off, I might say, were you wanting to get something specific out of this session and had you feel like the session met your needs okay yeah
0: but that's i mean especially
1: for someone who already has um
0: limitations to do that i mean that in itself Mm -hmm. is part of i mean clearly part of the therapy because it's part of the therapy session to say like yeah please bring like give me feedback because it's important and you're right i think that's probably the diff. i mean a really important piece of cognitive behavioral therapy that maybe other therapies don't necessarily focus on so much yeah of like did you get what you wanted out of the session right Mm -hmm. um and i'm sure some patients tell you that they didn't I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes that happens, but Mm -hmm. maybe it also teaches them the next time to be very directive in terms of what their goals are for Mm -hmm. treatment. But
1: maybe you might disagree what the goal would be, and you could talk about that, right? Totally. Um, Yeah. mm -hmm. And at Therapy Lab, we're also tracking outcomes. So we, at the beginning of each session, we're actually tracking symptoms of depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. or whatever thing the person is working on, because that's also part of the intervention. Right.
0: So So is there any, I mean, I know we need to wrap up a little bit, but anything that cognitive behavioral therapy wouldn't be appropriate for? Is there a type um, of client that you would say, no, I don't think that's a good fit, or CBT is really not the treatment modality that I think would help you?
1: I think if somebody wants to have an analytic experience where they're reviewing different parts of their narrative, mm-hmm. that is just a different kind of, or you know, that's a different kind of therapy.
0: Right. And so, I mean, I guess the question is for the person listening, this idea of what that really means. So if you say, I want to go into therapy because I'm really anxious, that's very clear that a directive or directive therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy would be very helpful for them because they have a goal of what they want to accomplish. They want to be less mm-hmm. anxious. Right. Mm-hmm. But in another way, you would think that, you know, more of a, um, dynamic or approach would be, you know, I want, I'm anxious, but I want to find out why I'm anxious. I want to know what made me this way. And I don't know if cognitive behavioral therapy necessarily would focus on that quite so much.
1: Um, it certainly can. Mm-hmm. part finding behavioral responses to different situations sometimes involves looking back over the course of one's life to figure out sometimes it can be really helpful to understand where that pain pattern come from came from, mm-hmm. the, where that pattern comes from. So and you know I it's fun, it's helpful, I think, to talk about the differences, but I think in practice, as a therapist at Golden Hour Therapy, I, I meet people where they are Mm -hmm. and I certainly can spend time helping someone understand better where different patterns came from, but I'm probably going to be slightly more likely to also include a forward looking like, okay, that was, that let's integrate that into what you're actually going to do this week and how you might experiment with altering that response. So it is, I think, and I probably, and I have, good friends who do dynamic therapy, but also really will say they include Mm -hmm. cognitive therapy or, so I I do think that those of us who really care about client care and have the wherewithal to look into different modalities Mm -hmm. also like to, to integrate where we can and where we feel comfortable just, Which makes it even harder. I know. Well, okay, <laughs> for, for the people. listener though, I mean, if you have a patient or a client who calls
0: in, how do you describe dynamic therapy to them? What? How do you? How do you word that?
1: I don't get asked that question a lot, but I would say that there is an emphasis on talk, talking about one's emotional experience and processing that with another, with your therapist, mm-hmm. um, in a way that is ultimately transformative and helps one experience themselves differently mm-hmm. in relation to other people in their lives. But honestly, I don't <laughs> think people <laughs> don't ask that. I'm more like in the, in, I'm more asked what right. therapy do I do? <laughs> right. Um, Yeah, I guess that's true. It would be an odd question
0: to ask. Um, But just kind of understanding kind of the general differences between the two. It's kind of like chewing on your emotions in a way or maybe.
1: Okay, one last thing before we um, finish. Well, actually, dynamic therapy, you could think of it as an exposure because going and talking about your experience for an for a session with someone, Mm -hmm. a dynamic therapist probably wouldn't think of that as an exposure, but I would.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I, this is, maybe I've asked you this before, but I don't remember the answer. And as you say, golden hour therapy, how (laughs) talk about the name golden hour therapy. It's a great name. I mean, how did, how did you think about that name and why is it important?
1: So I was a solo practitioner for almost 10 years. And then I decided to expand because downtown LA is expanding. And so as I brought in new psychologists, I wanted to have a name to identify us. Mm-hmm. And um we we just love the idea that we're in the golden state. And then there's this idea of a session being an hour of your week when you go and you really honor yourself for that time period. And then the golden hour is that time of day that there's this beautiful special light yeah. and just I don't know there's something that we felt was evocative about I, that I like it Thanks. it kind of makes you feel that it's, it's the time that's you know
0: radiating for you right and it's yeah. really a time of kind of transformation and change and
1: zen at the same time it's a good name that's what we're hoping for yeah. and that's the more traditional open-ended therapy practice and therapy lab is time-limited therapy packages for specific goals right it's a very, you know, names are very helpful.
0: (laughs) good. I'm glad. (laughs) Well, thank you for your time. We really
1: appreciate kind of learning more about your work and what you do. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time with me. All right. Bye.
0: This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.